Political instability and violence grips Peru. Confrontations between the armed forces, the police and the protesters. There has been a huge disruption to daily life. Coming up, we get the latest on the situation on the ground, vital advice to keep people safe, and find out how International SOS has been helping people caught up in the trouble. People who are directly affected by roadblocks, by airport closures, by being in cities where their hotel was witnessing dramatic social unrest just outside the doors. Unrest in Peru, a new podcast from International SOS. Hello, I'm Paul Osborne. Peru is no stranger to political instability, but the country is reeling from demonstrations triggered by the removal of its president. In the streets of Lima, Peru, demonstrators are vowing to keep demanding the president's resignation despite a strong police response and a mounting death toll. The worst political violence the country has seen in more than two decades began last month in rural regions and has now engulfed the capital city. Reporting from America's PBS. Former President Pedro Castillo is in jail, facing charges of rebellion and conspiracy. And Peru is now in the hands of his former deputy, Dina Baluate. Protests demanding his reinstatement started in rural areas, but last week reached the capital, Lima. Riot police have used tear gas and the impact's been felt across the country. Hundreds of tourists were stranded at the citadel of Machu Picchu after authorities announced it was closing indefinitely. It is a rapidly changing situation and International SOS has been busy assisting clients caught up in the unrest. To learn more, I've been speaking to Jaime Lopez Aranda, Senior Security Manager for Latin America. And he's been telling me more about the background to the current protests. Peru is no stranger to political turmoil by any measure. At the same time, this was a different type of crisis because you had a major, very popular figure, former President Castillo, who had a broad support, particularly in the south of the country, and very specifically with indigenous populations and working classes. There had been an ongoing conflict between Congress and President Castillo, Congress trying to assert more control over, over policy and over day-to-day affairs, and President Castillo resisted this pressure. The standoff ended up in President Castillo trying to rule by fiat. He didn't get the support of the armed forces and the police, and that gave Congress the upper hand to remove him and actually imprison him. His removal from power actually triggered a broader movement at the same time, it also transpired in um, in a context of general discontent or general malaise with the government and the political class as a whole. Since former President Castillo was removed from office, those protests have grown and spread to other parts of the country. Tell us what happened when the protests arrived on a large scale in Lima. That was an interesting turning point because the thing about Lima is that it had been relatively isolated for most of the protest activities, which were concentrated mainly in the southern regions. So for some time now, the protesters were trying to undertake what was called in Spanish La Toma de Lima, which was basically the takeover of Lima, in what was supposed to be a massive show of uh, political force, political muscle, if you will, in the heart of the capital. That didn't happen. And the government was really effective in isolating most of the protest pockets. I mean, 
there were some activities in the university, some activities in the, the historical center of the city, but for the most part, they were isolated protests that did not amount to a massive takeover of the city that was planned. And just tell us a little bit about the impact these protests are having on daily life in the country. For the most part, most of the impact has been felt in the southern regions, and it has been very significant. Right now, we have two major airports that are closed down due to the risk of attempted or actual takeovers, road blockades, the Machu Picchu archaeological site, which is one of the major, if not the major uh, focus for the tourism industry in Peru, is actually closed down, was closed down by the government. We've also seen a lot of um, confrontations between the armed forces, the police and the protesters all across the south. So that has had a very significant impact. In towns like Arequipa, for example, a number of businesses have been actually very adversely impacted. There have been supply issues in some cities in the country. So all in all, for the southern regions, there has been a huge disruption to daily life. Well, business travellers, students and other foreign visitors to Peru are among those who have been caught up in the unrest. We can find out more about that now by talking to Paul Desette, who's Security Director for Assistance for the Americas region. Paul, you've been helping to get people out of some fairly tricky situations in Peru. Tell us a little about that. Sure. So, yeah, there's been a lot of uh, requests have come in, especially since the events that Jaime just described began in December 7th of last year. We've had a lot of different requests that have been quite interesting. People who are genuinely in harm's way, worried about how the unrest might affect them. People who are directly affected by roadblocks, by airport closures, by being in cities where their hotel was witnessing dramatic social unrest just outside the doors. In particular, the area that Jaime mentioned around the Machu Picchu Inca site, we helped some organizations that were based up there uh, who faced a particularly difficult situation. So that site, that old Inca site, actually is only accessible by either train or by hiking. The nearby town of Cusco is about 40 miles away, has an airport that can be used. So when the protests happened and Cusco became a focal point, some of the groups up in that area became unable to leave. The trains had been stopped due to unrest and vandalism and people uh, putting boulders on the train tracks just to cause havoc. They needed a solution. Supplies may have started to run short eventually in the town that they were in. They couldn't stay indefinitely. And of course, anxieties rise in situations like that. Uh, What we did in that particular case became a bit of a saga, but ultimately it worked out for everyone. They all managed to get home. How did you manage to get them out? What we were able to do there was first understand exactly the situation they were in, ensure that they were in a safe location. We then deployed different options for them. So normally in Peru, the military has a monopoly on the use of rotary wing assets, but we were able to, given the circumstances, to obtain a few organizations that were able to get permits for helicopter flights into that area that could have taken them back to Cusco. We provided a fixer first to deploy into the town, get them on the manifest for a helicopter flight, get them on the manifest for a train trip, should that become an option again. And unfortunately, on a Friday when we were meant to deploy the helicopters, uh, multiple helicopters actually to go get them and bring them to Cusco. The weather prevented that helicopter from taking off, so we planned to do it the following day. Sadly, the following day, the same thing happened, and they were unable to move again. But that day, the government announced that the trains would restart running. They were able to get on those trains, but then about 30 kilometers along or so, they were forced to stop by the government, get off the train, and walk to a nearby town. Now, we had arranged for transportation to pick them up in the destination the train was meant to to go to, which is a town called Ollantaytambo. They didn't get that far. Instead, they got off the train, got escorted by the government about a kilometer away, where they were whisked away in government vehicles, essentially. 
Ultimately, we then uh, got them all back to Lima and got them all uh, back to their home countries. Well, for those who are currently in Peru, Paul, what is the latest advice? Yeah, great question. So what we're advising for most of the countries that travel is fine, you know, and there's no need to leave the country. There is some additional advice given the uncertainty and the, the risk of re-escalation. So, for example, as, as always, we'll just advise to not get yourself in a situation where you're exposed to unrest if you can help it, but to make sure that for for people who aren't from Peru, that they have good access to daily information about where unrest might be taking place so that their days can be planned around that and they can plan routes that don't get them into a situation where they might face unrest either planned or spontaneously arising. One thing that we're concerned about with our advice in the South is that we don't want people to get into a situation where they fly into a city that they, they didn't need to fly into just now. And then they're unable to leave because the airport's been attacked and closed or the roads are blocked by protest roadblocks and that sort of thing. So in the most acutely affected areas of the South, namely Puno and Cusco regions, uh, we're advising against non-essential travel. Now, what essential travel is or isn't is up to our client organizations to determine for themselves. But what we don't want is for people to go there now when it is quite volatile, when they could go later. So if there's no immediacy, urgency, business criticality to going now, then it's probably better to wait this out a little while longer until it becomes clear. Paul, thank you very much. Let's return to Jaime now. We talked there about the advice of people who are in Peru at the moment, the situation as it stands. What kinds of triggers should people be watching out for as a sign that the situation is deteriorating further? Well, definitely, and in terms of an escalation or a potential escalation, we are specifically looking at uh, targeting the disruption of the Lima airport operations. We are also looking at significant vandalism or clashes in the Miraflores and Isidro districts, which are basically more upscale than the seat of uh, the government. Also in Lima, the capital, the use of live ammunition, the creation of a curfew, that would also be a significant trigger to watch out for. But probably the most important thing is a political decision, because this is a political crisis and the reverse is a political, which would be to continue postponing the elections. Right now, there is the beginning of an agreement to hold elections next year. But there is also potential that elections will be postponed in 2026. That would be the critical escalation point because that is likely to blow up the conflict and make it indefinite. We're monitoring the situation on a daily basis, on an hour to hour basis at time, just to ensure that, our, that we're giving out the best advice and putting out the best information. Jaime Lopez Aranda, Senior Security Manager for Latin America at International SOS, and Paul Doucette, Security Director for Assistance in the Americas. Well, don't forget, you can get all the latest information and alerts on the situation in Peru and in other hotspots around the world from our website, internationalsos.com. And from there, you can find out how to get in touch with us via our global network of assistance centers, available to clients 24-7. But until next time, thanks very much for listening and goodbye.